Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing being, I'm, I'm doing great, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I really appreciate uh, you asking me to do this interview. So thank you. Firstly, thank you very much uh, for accepting my invitation and accepting to be on my show. Mm-hmm. So I thought to tell about you and uh, the work that you are doing and uh, the work that you already did to this planet to your audience. Well, uh, I'm a 42 plus year uh, television uh, engineer, been doing a lot of everything. My Actually, my family started, it's a family business, really. My dad started out in television in the late 50s and early 60s, and then all three of my brothers and myself are all in television, so we all grew up in it and do various things. I'm an engineer. I have a brother who's a producer, director. I have a, another brother who's an anchor, but we all grew up in it, and um, eventually I made my way to working at NASA doing television, which was a, a very big deal because as a child, I was a, a big uh, space program fan. I remember watching the Apollo 8 Christmas Eve uh, broadcast from around the moon. That's when I was like seven years old. And that stuck with me and has made me interested in space ever since. So when I got a chance to go work for NASA, it was fantastic. It was a dream come true. I got to, oh, well, our first job was out at the Dryden Flight Research Center was doing uh, covering shuttle landings. It was just after the, or actually it was return to flight after the Challenger accident from 1986. So it was 1987 when I got there and we covered the shuttle landings. Uh, we had single camera microwave trucks that would go out on the lake bed and would cover the image, uh, the shuttles that came down. And then I was lucky enough to be on a crew that got to work uh, around the shuttle and under the shuttle, doing the, seeing the uh, crew come out of the uh, orbiter. And then we would stay behind and do the uh, post-landing tile inspection. You know, the shuttle had a lot of uh, very unique titles and tiles, and they had to inspect them every mission. And so we, we'd use our camera to document that information, sending it back live to the Johnson Space Center in Houston. And that ran its course for about three years and the contract changed. And then the contractor I was with got the contract back in Houston, which is where I was from. So I got to come back to the Johnson Space Center, worked there for 10 years. And that was, uh, now that I look back and it was a playground for me. It was, I got to do just about everything you can think of. I got to, uh, uh, you know, interact with astronauts on a daily basis. Um, we, I did, uh, used to fly in the, the zero G plane, what they used to nickname the vomit comet, which I did a lot of, but, uh, that's the plane that they did the, uh, parabolic arcs where they would simulate zero gravity for 30 seconds at a time. And, uh, and that was both work and fun and work fun, I guess you call it that, but uh, I got to do that for a couple of years. And then for many years, I scuba dived out at the, uh, WEDEF, the weightless environmental training facility, which is where the astronauts practice their spacewalks. And that was uh, basically scuba diving for us. So we were safety divers and we had what they call float cameras and they were cameras and I would have to keep the camera on the face of the astronaut while they work because they wanted to see what the astronauts were doing at that time. And that was that was always fun. Um, and then beyond that, I worked uh, because I was a television engineer. I got to travel for NASA for doing documentation of like one of our big things was space station uh, construction back in the 90s. That's when the International Space Station was being put together. So we got to travel to California, um, got to travel to Moscow three times to document the construction of that. And that was seeing the difference between the United States, uh, the way they their space program builds and the way the Russians did was uh, real education. And then um, the last thing I did for NASA before I left in 2000 was actually go to the Baikonur Cosmodrome for the launch of the first International Space Station crew. Uh, Expedition One, and that was all the way down 
like I said, Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan, which is unworldly uh, kind of place. It's like in the high steps of the planes up there, and it's just uh, it's surreal to be there, being a bit of a space historian to see that stuff up close. Uh, but that's my, my career NASA ended. Um, that was basically due to government contracting. When your job's gone, it's gone. And so I had to get back into the regular television, but that, that I went to start doing remote television. I went and helped start the uh, first high-definition television network here in the United States with Mark Cuban, owns the Dallas Mavericks and various other things. And then a couple of years later, I ended up going to work for a company called NEP Group out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, doing the same work, working in remote television. Uh, basically, anytime there's a live sporting event here in the States, the big tractor trailer TV trucks show up, and that's, how, that's the equipment that's used for any given show. But um, that also has been exciting. I've gotten to work four different Olympics, got to go to Rio for the uh, summer games down in, uh, in uh, Rio de Janeiro. Um, I worked on the, pro the experimental 3D television for ESPN 3D for a couple of years. Uh, but basically, I'm kind of trying to get back into the space business. I've started being more of a space enthusiast and space communicator uh, over the last couple of years and going to launches and uh, my wife's family, where I met her down in the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas, is now the home of uh, SpaceX's Starbase, where they're building Super Heavy and Starship. And so since I have family down there, I get to go down there pretty often and uh, take a look and see what they're doing down there, which is very exciting. And I'm also, my biggest pursuit right now is trying to get myself into space with the new space tourism, space commercial space, that kind of thing. Uh, there's talk about some uh, uh, reality shows. The, where the winner would get to go to the International Space Station, just like uh, the Axiom crew right now is on the International Space Station. That's all uh, commercial. Uh, they don't like to call it space tourism, but that's basically people paying for seats to go to the International Space Station. And I'm work, trying to find a way to get that kind of thing working for me because I would, like I said, it's a lifelong dream as a child to, to, to go into space, and I'm not giving up on it. So what is the best thing that you liked in the work that you're doing? Oh, at this point, it's the space communications. I, I really have discovered my my favorite thing to do. Um, I guess my niche is communicating my excitement about space and helping to inspire others about space, especially younger people. Um, I volunteer out at Space Center Houston, which is the visitor center here at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. And that has been exhilarating on a daily basis. I can't wait to get there and just talk to people and share not only my knowledge and my my excitement about it, but the, the, to open their people's eyes. One of the best things I like to do is when small kids come in, I try to encourage them to ask questions, get their minds thinking about it. Like we have at the, at the uh, Johnson Space Center, there's, the, um, there's a Saturn V. It was the rocket that took us to the moon in the late 60s and early 70s. It's a uh, flight ready, well, it was flight ready back in the 70s, but it was one that was due to camp budget cutbacks, they didn't fly it. So it's a flight ready Saturn V and to have not only just regular people, but kids come in, adults and kids seeing this rocket, they don't, they can't appreciate the size until you actually see it. It's, it's a standard line we use, which is, you know, there are three appropriate responses when you see this rocket laying on its side is shock, oh my God, and oh, because it's so big. And if you ever get to Houston, you've got to come see the Saturn V rocket. It is very impressive. But yeah, just my, my, my biggest thing I do now is try to encourage people to really appreciate space and as our future. Uh, a lot of kids I talk to, um, they have the opportunity to not, not only go to space, but go work in space. And within the next 10, 15 years, we're going to have 
five or six space stations of commercial space stations. And those are they're going to need people to work there, not just astronauts doing the astronaut thing, but actually people, engineers, technicians, doctors, uh, all kinds of things, plumbers. That's, you know, that's NASA, one of the things people NASA is looking for, or just commercial space looking for people who can do things like plumbing and electrical to do that, to take care of their space stations. So tell me your experience uh, uh, about ISS. Oh, ISS, yes. Well, like I said, back in the 90s, um, we were tasked with going around and document the construction individual modules. So we ended up in Los Angeles a couple times where they were building the truss structures, the basically the backbone of the space station. Um, and that was all done by a really brand new, what they called cold extrusion, which is a technique where they drew metal through a die, but not by heating it up. And of course, it made it uh, stronger at that point and lighter. Um, there were various other uh, various other payloads and projects here in the States, but the big one was going over to Moscow to see them construct the Zarya module and the Zvezda modules. And we got there early enough, but they, they were just skeletons. So we got to crawl around inside of them and document the construction and also uh, go up to Star City, which is uh, the Russian's equivalent of um, the Johnson Space Center. It's the crew training where they would train their cosmonauts and to see all those really uh, just historic uh, facilities they have there. They had, basically they had the equivalent, the same as everything that Johnson Space Center had, NASA had, but they're in Star City, north of Moscow, and to get, interact with the cosmonauts and, and learn everything there. And then for the International Space Station launch, I got to go with a, uh, two other NASA engineers uh, to um, Baikonur. We were there actually using prototype high definition television cameras to document the, the launch and um, and getting to, to go, get to, getting to go see a place I'd only read about in books and only seen a few pictures of was very it was it's still to me kind of a semi kind of dream. I, sometimes I can't I think back and I said did I dream that or did I actually see stuff? Because the, the the Russian program unfortunately had declined over the years and so their launch facility was basically a couple of active buildings and launch pads and the rest of it was basically left to rot. And to see things like, well, I got to go see at the time, this was in 2000, um, the, uh, the, uh, the Russian space shuttle, uh, uh, Buran. Um, we were allowed access into, we weren't allowed to take pictures uh, of the actual flight shuttle Buran on a uh, Energia stack. Um, and we got to walk around and look at it and just, it, it's seared in my mind, the images of it. Uh, unfortunately, about a year later, the uh, roof on the building collapsed and destroyed it due to uh, rust and, and lack of maintenance on it. And there's currently two other mock-ups there at Baikonur uh, that are potentially could suffer the same thing. They were the, the, the next two orbiters they were going to use, and people are trying to get them removed from there, but it's a lot of red tape and so forth. So, so, 40, plus, so 40 plus years of experience. So what it taught to you and what is your contribution to the world? Well, like I said, my experience is now when I'm 60 years old is, you know, you, you're, you, think, you think you know everything, but you don't. You need to pay attention because there's always something new to learn. And to uh, basically planet Earth is in trouble. We need to help it and we need to inspire people to to help help improve lives, not just their lives, but everybody's life. Um, we are, as a people, this is our only planet. I know Elon talks about making us a, a two-planet society, but that's still a long way away. We can't wait for that kind of thing. We have to improve 
the planet we have now. And I've always found that, that found that space is one of those unifying subject matters you can get people to talk about and you can find a common ground on it because everybody has this image of space and what they think it is. And you can turn it around and space, you know, one of the biggest things we use space for is to monitor the planet, satellites, uh, weather satellites, all kinds of stuff. We can we can see the big picture in space and NASA has led the way for many, many years on that. So anything I can do to encourage people to look at the bigger picture and see, hey, we got to improve this planet, not just for us, not just for our neighbors, but for the entire planet. And that's from ecology to e economics, too. So how this space study is uh, helping the mankind who is living on the planet? Well, like I said, it allows you to space lets us learn about other planets and other environments and learn from our and help us learn from our mistakes. Uh, besides the obvious satellites that can image the planet and see storms and study rainfalls and study temperature differences, and stuff like that. A lot of it is the technology, the technology that has come from the early space program helped drive all the technology. You know, without without the Apollo programs, the moon landings, we wouldn't have our cell phones. The technology that came about because of that, the miniaturization, that technology can be used to help save the planet to improve emissions to electric cars, you know, zero emission vehicles, all, you know, it's, it's a whole slew of things. Uh, NASA has a whole project called spinoffs, which they talk about all the technology that that's been developed and how it helps off, uh, helps the, uh, the economies of the world and so forth. And that's always been a good inspiration too, is seeing what NASA is always coming up with new technologies and cooperating with commercial partners to help new, these new technologies get out there. Cause sometimes it takes a little, you know, if you don't have somebody who doesn't believe in the investment, maybe NASA does, and that's that's where that goes. So, for a long time, you are able to see uh, the vehicles which are going to uh, uh, into the into the sky, and uh, you are seeing the the evolution of the technology. So, where we are today? Well, where we are today is we've got a lot of uh, a lot of good hardware and people trying to take that hardware and do something with it, but it's still an uphill battle. A lot of politics, a lot of businesses, people who are ingrained in the old way of doing things. Um, and that's kind of a saying we have is that um, it's not the people who are excited about space that you need to communicate with. They're already there. It's the people who aren't excited about space or new technology or the environment. Those are the people we need to reach out to, the politicians and the business leaders. Those people need to be brought on board and shown uh, what they talk about, the one thing that uh, a lot of people go into space, astronauts, even the private astronauts on the uh, New Glenn and, uh, and uh, or New Shepard and uh, Virgin Galactic flights is the overview effect. Uh, they, a lot of astronauts have said once they are up in space and they see the Earth as a single sphere, all the borders disappear. All the geographic uh, areas become just Mother Earth, and that helps change their perspective on the, the world. The people who are not on board, those are the people we need to get up there to see that, to encourage them to say, hey, we need to start thinking bigger picture here. Uh, and that means start, stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about somebody else. I like to say it's don't think about me, think about we. So like you said, uh, Elon says, uh, you know, human need to be multi-planetary species. We need to go and he's working towards it. And uh, uh, recent inventions, uh, recent work also of his uh, is uh, making a lot of uh, youngsters like me believe him and believe what he's saying. 
because he proved something that has not happened before. Oh, absolutely. Elon is, is, is an encourager, encourages me on a daily basis. He, he's inspiring in his own self. Now, you can take, so people like to take some of the things he says and does and try to twist them around, but Elon's main drive is to improve the world. He, yes, he does want to make us a multi-planet species, and so he's spent, t- taking, upon, taking upon himself and not waiting for other people, but doing it himself to get us there. And that's the kind of person I want to be, get, you know, I don't want to encourage, I want to be behind, I want to promote. Um, he, he just, everything he does is says we can make us better. Uh, so, so you said uh, you learned a lot uh, in this uh, experience of yours. So uh, what, what is that particular thing uh, that made you uh, think that uh, I have changed my perspective which was there uh, uh, like 40 years back today, what you are. Oh, well, that's, I think I just chalked that up to maturity and paying attention. Um, I was raised to, I was raised to be a nice person to everybody. And when you get out and you get grow up and you become older and you start getting experience, you get married, you have kids, you have grandkids, you start realizing that's a really important thing. And you want to spread that when you've got kids, you can share that, that, uh, thought process with them. And then, of course, they take it with their kids and so forth. But you you can't just sit there and, and worry about just your little group. You need to start thinking bigger. And so like my volunteering, that's something I consider a very important thing to do to help mankind, to help spread the word. It's a small thing. I mean, it, it takes, you know, I can only do so much. I'm only one person and, you know, movie stars and television personalities, they have other options or other, you know, other ways of doing it. But uh, it's about personal responsibility, too, you know, being a person, being a nice person and helping spread that and help stand up for the weak and promote goodwill. So what you don't understand about space study? I'm sorry, say that again. Uh, What you don't understand about space study? What I don't understand about space study? Ooh, that's a lot. I'm I'm a television engineer by by trade and I did not finish college for that but it was like I said it was like a family business. There's a lot about the space science that I try to understand. I I, I think I grasp some things like black holes and that kind of uh, the big bang and black holes and all the connections holds a great interest to me. Um, I've thought about that since I was a little kid. The first time I heard about a black hole and how and I and I actually at the time the way what I understood about the big bang and black holes they seemed very similar, like they were joined in some way. And I've heard some scientists since then saying that the creation of our universe, in theory, could have been the creation of a black hole in another dimension or another universe kind of thing. And there's this connection. There's a lot of uh, just a discussion about how that could work. But that whole area of cosmetology and just the way our universe works is very, very intriguing to me. Couldn't couldn't explain it to you, but I like to pay attention, like to learn is what I can about it. Uh, do you believe that uh, the world exists uh, apart from our mind? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're just, you know, the, the, we're just an individual. Our minds are limited. We can only sense and deal with the reality we have. Um, and one of the big things in my life is being able to connect with somebody else's reality. Like when I met my wife, to me, that was a con- now I realize it was a connection of my reality with her reality and then our kids reality and then, then so forth and so forth. Um, 
yeah, the, the world is much bigger than us all, but we have a responsibility to make it a better place. Uh, so how your uh, television engineer experience helped you in understanding space? Oh, well, basically, <laughs> uh, that's, that's more about how you live, take care of space, how you work in space. I'm, I'm what I consider a component level uh, systems guy. I can take a bunch of, I understand, you know, what television is a, as, a, as an industry, as a scientist, you might want to call it. It's still done exactly the same way they did when my dad was doing it in the 50s and 60s. You have a camera, you take a picture with that camera, you transmit that picture back to a central control room, you take that picture, you manipulate it, you record it, you put it out and you send it out to the world. The technology is a lot more, you know, went from analog black and white to color digital 4K and now we're into internet protocols and stuff like that. So it's all about systems. Um, it's just building blocks. You plug your, your different bl blocks in and you make the system work. If you understand what the, this block does and this block does, you put it together and you make a system. And in a way, space, space travel is a lot of the same way. You've got rockets, you've got motors, you've got fuel tanks, you've got control systems, things like that, especially like on the space station. Space station to me is very, very similar to the kind of environment I work in. There's multiple systems that interconnect, whether you have communications or imagery or whatever it is. Um, that feels taught me to understand that part of it but as far as space the limited you know the opportunities of space space <laughs> space is space is humongous people don't really understand how big space is and and the distances like people talk about going to well go to people ask me how long does it take to get to the moon it takes three days to get there three days back how long does it take to go to mars uh, when you're doing it at the right time six months well they also don't realize that that kind of distance also means that you're communications your videos and your audio like back to the to, to mars can take up to 15 minutes so you've got that disconnect and so forth so once you get out there you've got to start thinking about oh you can't rely on mission control you've got to be able to do it on your own so as that part of it has taught me that once we get out there once we start traveling out to the, the solar system we're going to be kind of on our own we'll have home to help us but we've got to plan we've got to plan very well and rehearse and think everything out really well before we go Are we able to send artificial intelligence mach uh, machine out of the planet and uh, uh, do uh, re research and get the information? I'm oh, sorry, say that one more time. I lost the first part of it. Uh, as a human beings, can we able to create an artificial intelligence machine which will get all the information which is there out of the planet? Oh, absolutely. I think I, I think artificial intelligence is a key to our exploring uh, exploring anything, whether it's the bottom of the ocean or uh, out in outer space. AI is AI to me is not just the, like the robots that walk around and talk to you. AI is just about anything. I mean, we've got technically we've got AI on our phone. It's a tool. Uh, tools are, are things we create to help our jobs easier, our lives be easier. So absolutely, I think AI is going to play a huge role in it. Uh, but I don't believe I'm not a believer in unmanned, only unmanned exploration. I think it's a balancing act. Um, you send the robot probes with the AI to go learn as much as they can, give as much information. And then in, at some point, man has to go because we really haven't explored until we've been there. Sure, you can send the satellites to the, all the planets, uh, but until we've been there, it's not really fully explored. And that's why I'm like excited about the Europa Clipper, which is launching here in a couple of years, which is going out to the uh, moon of Jupiter, uh, Europa, where they know there's a uh, it's an ice, man ice shell uh, moon, and they know there's liquid water beneath it. Um, and the potential for life. 
And that the Europa missions will be very heavily uh, using uh, AI to be able to make decisions about, you know, pre-program things. And then when things don't go right, they've got to have options like the current rover um, Perseverance on uh, Mars has a AI that allows it to drive much uh, to, to travel a lot more efficiently than the previous um Oh, I forget the uh, previous rover. But instead of having to wait for commands from Earth, it actually takes a picture and then makes the decision about the best and then it tries it out itself. So what NASA is doing uh, uh, with the uh, International Space Station on Antarctica? Antarctica? That that I hadn't heard. I'm not privy to that, in what, that one. Sorry. I can only read so much. <laughs> So how much we have explored as a human beings about space? How much? Oh, we've just barely scratched the surface and, and, and scratching the surface is being generous. Um, if you if you think about science fiction and people talking about like like Star Trek, that's a good example like people like to use is if you look at that future. That's a future I, I, I would love to see if I live long enough to see that kind of future uh, where we're out there exploring the planets and we're doing it peacefully and we're learning as a as a species and we are bringing other species in with us um that that to me is the ultimate uh, way of doing things but right now we're just barely scratching the surface um commercial space is really going to push push us out to the moon and to mars and to the uh, uh asteroids for mining and so forth but uh as far as exploring we've just barely scratched the surface so are we able to uh, get uh, different minerals on the on the other planets? Say that one more time. Uh, uh, are we able to get uh, different minerals that we are not getting on this planet? Oh, other, minerals, other yeah. The world? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not so much we can't that we can't get them. On, like uh, they're talking about uh, mining the moon. Well, the moon, interestingly enough, the reason we're going back to the moon in 2025 uh, is that we found water ice. NASA found water ice on the South Pole. And anywhere you can find you find ice, water ice, you can live because you can take that water ice and you can melt it and you can purify the water and you can drink it. Uh, and then you can basically recycle that water. The space station is about a 96 percent recycling right now. So you can live wherever there's water ice. But then the great thing is you can take that water and you can break it down into its constituent parts, hydrogen, oxygen, and that becomes rocket fuel. And you can use that as your rocket fuel to go places. Then you can also take that hydrogen oxygen and you run it through a fuel cell and you can make electricity. The South Pole is kind of in shadow some of the time, so they'll need an alternate, besides solar cells, they'll need an alternate um, form of, um, of uh, power. But yeah, there's there's all kinds of things. They're talking about helium-3 on the moon. That's a potential future uh, energy source. But yeah, there's there's all kinds of minerals, not only on the moon, but they know in the asteroids, they're richer with you know, gold, nickel, titanium, all, all, the, all the minerals you can think of. And they're in quantities that are that dwarf what we have on this planet. So the hard part, though, is going to be getting that stuff back, which of course makes it more expensive. But we'll see. We'll see how where that goes. There are people working on uh, probes right now to go do uh, some test mining on asteroids, and they'll be launching the next ten years or so. So our sensors have limited uh, capacity. Uh, it can do uh, limited things. So whatever the technology that uh, we are the human beings created. Uh, we are using it in order to reach uh, uh, long distances. So are we able to find out uh, by sensing with our five sensors 
are we able to understand there is other species or other things in the in the space or uh, with whatever the capacity that we have or we need uh, a technology that uh, that is more than uh, uh, that uh, that is more than our senses um good question yeah actually um, one of the things in the last 10, 15 years has been the a study for exoplanets. I don't know if you've been seeing that, where they're using uh, optical telescopes to sense other planets around other uh, suns. Um, and it was always theorized that there would be, but it took years before they discovered there are other planets, other solar systems. And the technology has gotten really good where they can not only tell that there are planets, what they, what, uh, I guess I can explain, what they do is they point a telescope at a sun or a star and they watch watch for the light to dim and in theory that's when the planet you know, like you have the sun here uh, the star and the planet passes be between it and the light dims and they can see that well not only can they tell it's a planet they can tell its relative size they can see how quickly it's moving around the other the star uh they can look at the um the the visual signatures uh the infrared and so forth uh, and determine if it has an atmosphere uh you know what that atmosphere is made of its temperature, it's amazing what they can do just from using those visual uh, tools to see what's going on in those other solar systems. So that's, you know, they've discovered thousands and thousands of exoplanets now, and some are candidates for uh, potential life. They look for what they call the Goldilocks zone. Any planet that's in an approximate distance, say the, the Earth is from our sun, um, they look for planets like that. But they found some amazing planets, planets that circle their star in days, not years, but days, which is crazy fast. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There, our five senses are limited, so we need technology to help expand those those uh, senses. Um, I, I'm waiting for the next generation uh, to hear about the next generation of not only exoplanet uh, discoveries, uh, but what they can start uh, as they refine their senses. Like James Webb Space Telescope, which went out, it's it won't be used for that kind of thing, but its new system for mirrors and so forth is going to be able to reach farther back uh, in time than Hubble has. And of course, Hubble just discovered the farthest known object. Uh, they found a star that is, they dated back to be 900, uh, was created 900,000, no, 900 million years after the Big Bang, less than, a, less than a billion years, which is the youngest thing we've ever seen. So you can only imagine what James Webb's gonna see with its ability to see even deeper into space. So what about the communication system in the space? Well, that's what kind of limited by physics. Um, radio waves move at the speed of light. And so far, we haven't found anything that moves faster than the speed of light. I know there's a lot of theoretical uh, people working on the theory of traveling faster than the speed of light. Um, there's a lot of physics you got to beat to make there. Um, they're talking about wormholes and other odd uh, space oddities. But for right now, we're going to be st we're stuck with um, uh, radio waves at the speed of light. One one area that does show uh, promise is lasers. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the, the second version of the Starlink satellite that Elon Musk is putting up uses lasers to communicate from satellite to satellite. Um, and that allows them to, instead of having to rely on ground stations for every satellite going up and down like this, they can bring a, set, bring a signal up to a satellite, a Starlink satellite, and they can use lasers to communicate between the other. And that way they don't have to have as many ground stations. Now that technology actually started back in the 90s where NASA was experimenting with laser communications from uh, sh uh, the shuttle down to the ground. And I believe the space station has a similar system that they've tested, but the idea is eventually they would use lasers 
to communicate like say to Mars or the moon, not that it would be any faster, but it would be uh, a higher bandwidth um, because you can compress a lot of information to a laser beam and you give it enough power and it can make the whole way and you just have to have a system that can track it so that keeps keeps them lined up. You can allow for not, not like I said, not any faster communication, but a much um, higher bandwidth, which is going to be really important in our future, being able to communicate in both directions too. Uh, we understood light speed a uh, long time back, but why still we are not uh, created any device or anything that travels with the light speed? Oh, you mean a, a space vehicle of any kind? Anything, anything which travels with the light speed. Why still we didn't create anything like with that? Well, from what I've read, the amount of energy required to travel at the speed of light is almost infinite. Um, but uh, but they're still working on it. I mean, they've talked about um, they talk about solar sails can reach uh, percentages like 50 percent speed of light, depending on where you're going. There's also plasma drives, which would allow you to accelerate. Um, they've I've actually seen uh, read some material where they think that if we could get to about 20 percent the speed of light travel within the solar system, it would be much easier. And uh, 20 percent of the speed of light is still moving pretty fast. But there's, like I said, there's a lot of uh, new technologies like the plasma drive. Uh, former astronaut Franklin Chang Diaz has a plasma drive that he was getting ready to fly, uh, actually be test flown on space shuttle um, back before the Columbia accident. And because of the Columbia accident, the shuttle program shut down and they decided not to use it. And I have to check and see where he is at on that. But plasma drives, I think, are our best next step uh, because you can accelerate for long distances and then turn on and slow down and get you... Uh, 10 or 15 percent of the speed of light. So what do you say about Neuralink? Sorry, say again. Uh, what do you what do you say about Neuralink? Oh, Neuralink. Oh, boy, I've, I've just <laughs> I have to read up on that. I haven't read enough about Neuralink um, to understand it. Uh, it sounds promising. I mean, the idea of being able to connect, I'm assuming from what I've read, it was correct about interconnecting the human brain for fast communications. That's and that's been a dream uh, since I was a kid. I've been reading in science fiction the ability to plug yourself in to a uh, to a computer or other device. But yeah, I got to do some reading on that. Now I, I got to make a note of that. So why I ask that because uh, uh, as a human beings, if we uh, if we are able to explore uh, uh, the the organic things like our human body, what is happening in the inside the body, if we can explore completely, is that study helps us uh, uh, understanding the energy and the capacity and uh, about our senses and the limitations of it so that we can create something uh, uh, which uh, travels faster and which, which gets uh, information faster from the space? Oh, uh, yeah. Any, anytime you understand any organism, whether it's us or something else, um, you you increase your knowledge of everything, you know, you potentially increase your knowledge of everything. The more we study about ourselves, about our bodies, the way they work, of course, we can improve our uh, life, life longevity, I guess. And so there you can take that longevity and extend your knowledge. You know, people want to talk about living 150, 200 years. I would love to live that long because I'm excited about what's in the future. Uh, and if you can carry that knowledge, a lot of a lot of what I've in my heart about the human species problems we have is forgetting what we've learned. Um, we learn something and then we forget about it and we have to relearn it. 
Well, if you extend the lives, the lifespan of a human being, that kind of problem starts to go away because even though you've got computers and you've got memories and got libraries and you can store this information, having that information in, active in someone's mind and talking about it and sharing with other people is very important about keeping the world conscious of something. Um, they, they, the old line is, um, if you don't if you don't study history, you're you're doomed to repeat it. So war and 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 uh, you know. Uh, plagues and outbreaks, same thing. If you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. So extending people's lives helps increase our collective memory of things, and therefore we don't have to relearn from our mistakes and we continue to take our energies and put them toward studying the, the, the solar system. Uh, are we able to put uh, data centers in the space? Oh, data centers, absolutely. I'm sure that's gonna be one of the next big things. Um, not only not only for like relaying information, but also storage, because you want to, uh, you know, it, our collective memory is important to keep. And they do have facilities, of course, on the planet where they have data storage. But getting it off planet is advantageous because in case something happens uh, and also, you know, a solar flare with a large EMP could wipe out a lot of information where well, you put them out in space, you can harden them, you know, and, and if you have like, say, you had a a series of them orbiting the planet at any given moment that earth the planet itself would shield it in theory so you could protect that kind of information but yeah data centers are the next big thing i'm surprised there's not more talk about that to be totally honest could you try again so what kind of thinking for a human being helps you in understanding space better what kind of thinking well there's the me we not me that I said earlier, if you think about your, if you think beyond yourself, if you think about the the people around you, the people on the planet and so forth, that help us helps to open your mind to what can we do. And space is a is a well, it's the, the, the next the next frontier um, and it's limitless. So uh, just thinking more about what I can do, what you can do, what we can do uh, and think about what could we use. The space has got you know, infinite, infinite ideas out there. So just opening your mind up to those kind of things is the best thing I can suggest. So what actually made you to uh, come into uh, space work? Because you are already into television uh, uh, work. So wh what made you, wh why that transformation? Well, like I said, I've been a, I've been a fan. Of, I mean, I've been a space enthusiast since I was a kid. I watched all the moon landings. I used to write NASA and get uh, flight plans and autograph pictures of the astronauts and so forth. And I always held that that love of space, uh, that sense of adventure to me. And then, like I said, when I got uh, old enough and I had an opportunity to get a job working for NASA, that was a dream come true. And it's just been building and building. And now I've uh, you know, in the last couple of years, decided to become a space communicator. And it is the most satisfying thing that I can imagine sharing my my knowledge and sharing my enthusiasm. I've I've been uh, I've been ref I've been called high energy before. And I I accept that that description uh, with open arms. Um, I enjoy I have a high energy. I'm 60 years old, but I move move like people my, half my age. And so sharing that enthusiasm is is my thing, I guess, this is the only way to put it. But space has always been near and dear to my heart. And, you know, I, I do want to go into space. I hope one day I do. But I want to encourage others to to get as excited as I am about it. Uh, you worked as an engineer for a long time, you know, uh, engineering. So have you ever thought uh, or have you ever uh, uh, 
things that are uh, about the medium which will help human to send information as far as possible from our planet well yeah i mean the the whole idea of uh, i mean technically i'm in the media business i mean i help make create uh, imagery and sound and information and so forth and that's a very big important part about communicating communications is the biggest thing that we can do with each other i mean without communications we can't share ideas we can't you know we wouldn't be where we are where they'd be able, be able to communicate and that's the basis for all of our livelihoods is communication. You've got to communicate. So if you've got something interesting like space and you want to communicate about it, uh, communicate it to other people. Um, you have to have to have the right tools and, and the knowledge. Um, and I like to think my my knowledge has helped not just the average person watching uh, their favorite football team or uh, Olympics or something like that, but uh, helped when I worked at NASA. I actually. At one point when I was at NASA in Houston in the mid-90s, I seriously considered the op my options for future employment. And I thought, I could stay at NASA forever. Well, unfortunately, government contracting doesn't plan out that way. And so I wasn't able to stay. And so I took my took my took what I'd learned there and went back into commercial television. But like I said, I haven't, haven't gone far from NASA. I still have a lot of friends working there. I'm reconnecting. Recently, I've started reconnecting with some astronauts that I worked with a lot. Don Thomas is one of them from STS-70. He and I have started talking about doing some things together. And it's just exciting. Communicating with people is just exciting. So so your experience with astronauts? Oh, yes. Uh, that was something um, that I had to keep pinching myself a lot in those early days. I would be around uh, because my work. I, I technically, uh, my job was working in the, what they call the public affairs office. Uh, we did the NASA TV at the Johnson Space Center, and PAO was our was technically our boss. And so we would do all kinds of things uh, like, OK, so when you have astronauts, they get a lot of media requests. They get requests from either their hometown or somebody wants to interview them. Well, it's real tough for an astronaut who's working uh, to get and go fly someplace, uh, uh, you know, to be interviewed. So we had a TV studio in Building 2 South in Johnson Space Center. And the astronauts would come to our studios and we'd set them up when we used NASA TV satellite to connect them with whatever news organization, whether it was their local TV station or sometimes we get the BBC or, or, you know, it was it was just about any any place in the world, uh, especially when we had the Japanese astronauts. They used to do a lot of media uh, with back into Tokyo. And so you'd interact with them, not only just for that, but on a daily basis. Uh, you'd do, we'd be doing educational programs. That was one of the favorite things to do was you had an astronaut who came in and wanted to do an educational program. In fact, um, uh, Kalpna Chabla from, uh, from the uh, Columbia flight, um, KC we called her, was, uh, we worked with her, oof, that's at least two years working on several uh, educational programs. And she ended up wanting to redo the voices of them instead of having translations done for different dialects and different languages, she decided to do it herself. So I got to spend a lot of time around her and it was very sad uh, when the Columbia accident happened and she was killed in that, in that crew too. So I like to think I had a, somebody I knew pretty well on that flight. So it was, it was very personal on that one. But uh, yeah, so we got to deal, deal with the astronauts on a daily basis. Uh, uh, any particular experience that you cannot forget in your life? Did anybody, oh, any astronaut experiences? Yes. Well, what uh, biggie was uh, when John Glenn, the former Mercury astronaut, uh, came back to fly on the shuttle. And John 
was an icon as a, as a kid. He was an icon to me. He was one of the, you know, the original seven astronauts, the Mercury 7. And so to get to just to meet him was, you know, a dream come true. But then, like I said, because he was getting a lot of media attention, he would come in and spend time um, and doing his satellite interviews. But there would be times we'd come in there and be waiting and he would just sit down and we'd just start talking and we get to hear stories from him. Um, some of the uh, some of the astronauts that flew on the Mir space station, um, they came back with some unbelievable stories that I don't dare ever repeat <laughs> about their time on the Russian space station, Mir. Um, but yeah, it's it was a lot of times I get to talk to people, uh, talk to the astronauts and their experiences. And that's one of the other reasons I like doing this stuff is because these are real people who shared their experience. And now I want to share my experience. Uh, experiencing and uh, consuming this uh, space energy, how you feel? Say that one more time. Experiencing and uh, consuming uh, the space energy, how you feel? Consuming and experiencing space energy. Well, that's an interesting question. I never thought about that. I'm going to have to think about that one, but that's, yeah, it's space energy. I hadn't thought about it like that. Because uh, you are collecting information which came from the space very closely. And uh, uh, you okay. are experiencing and consuming it. How you feel? I gotcha. I gotcha. Wow, that's a, that's a, that, that's a, makes me really think about what I'm doing. Experiencing space energy. Wow, you got me thinking <laughs> to work on that one. But yeah, I, th I can see that. I can see that. That's a great question, Say. So at last, uh, do you want to say anything uh, to the people who are watching and listening to this conversation from anywhere on this planet? Yeah, uh, just like it, it, it's space is our future. I mean, like I said, I've talked to kids about there. There are kids I talk to who will at some day, not a lot of them, but some will work in space and generations on. I hope my grand my grandchildren get the opportunity to do that. But we all benefit from what we do in space. The technology, like I said, we've developed. Uh, the technology we're doing, the, the, the work being done on the International Space Station right now, which will be continued by commercial space stations in the future uh, about the uh, study, med, med, medical studies, uh, the, the production of pharmaceutical products, um, uh, materials process. It's it's unlimited. And so we all benefit from a space economy and the space economy is growing, growing fast. And people need to realize that and that that's where our future economy is going to be in space because that's the next frontier. So what do you say to uh, young technologists like me who are engineers and developers who are working on technology? What advice you will give to them? Um, keep going. Uh, go where your heart takes you. Um, something in becomes interesting. You see something, read something, study about it. Or learn as much as you can about it and then share that information. Because like I said, we are a collection of people with memories and we have to share. So we all learn from that. But like I said, yeah, if you find something you, that interests you, go for it. Don't ever say, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Keep on it. Keep studying. Learn as what you want. And I, I've got a saying that I like, like to share. Um, I'm smarter today than I was yesterday. And tomorrow I'll be smarter than I've ever been. Which to me means you can never stop learning. So one last observation of yours. What is your observation about my work? Have you seen any videos of mine? Uh, I started re watching a few of them. Yes, um, I like them. I like them. All. I like this format very much. 
um, I think you have a great future in this kind of thing and I encourage you to keep going. So exploring space and exploring minds. Correct, exactly. And you know what? They're almost pretty much the same thing. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Andrew. I hope uh, uh, because of your presence and because of your energy, I'm sure uh, in coming days, a lot of things are going to change because of your knowledge and because of your contribution to this planet and also to the next generation. Your knowledge and your uh, work is going to create, uh, should create impact and uh, help uh, mankind and also other species on this planet. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. Can I put this video on my YouTube channel with your permission? Yes, sir. Can I also put this video and audio clip on my podcast, website, internet, social media, everywhere with your permission? Yes, sir. Thank you, Andrew, again. Thank you, Sai. Take care. Bye.